of Timothy, written by Paul the Apostle. Paul was writing because he was concerned about a young pastor named Timothy, but he was also worried about the church, God's people. And he's, it's, this is still a major concern for pastors today. As we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm kind of doing an overview. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul's main concern for the church and this young pastor was that false teaching and false ideas was creeping into the church. And this happens all the time. You know, it wasn't a one-time thing back there in the, day, in the time of Paul, the apostle, as it was in Timothy's day. It still happens today. We hear false teachers on the radios. They're all over social media. They try to come in through the church by so-called worship songs. So we're constantly hearing false ideas, false doctrine through these little venues. They might seem minute, but to you know the discerning ear, we have to uh, tell them that this is a problem. You see, Paul told Timothy that... He is to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Doctrine is very important. The view about God is very important. Not only is false doctrine a problem or was a problem then and it is today, there also was a problem of morality. They had morality issues. And morality issues happen as a church or an individual church member Because it could happen into individuals or even to the church corporately. Thank you very much. Corporately. That when we start straying from the word of God. It'll start showing in our actions. We start deviating from God's word. That's when we start straying in the area of morality. So Paul was writing to young Timothy to set the things in order in the church. And there needs to be order in the church. Biblical order. See, God's word is written for our learning. It's instructing us how to live godly and how to do things in the church. So Paul is writing to Timothy to set things in order by, number one, sticking to the word. He's telling the Christians to stick to the word. He's telling the pastor, stick to the word. Number two, he's telling them, hey, there's a call to prayer. We need to pray. And we, and we need to be in the word of God as believers. And we need to pray as believers today. But number three, we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul taught that the focus of our transformation isn't in outward appearances. It's not the suits I wear and the things I I wear that transform me. It's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul was instructing the church to live holy. And that word holy is to be set apart. Set apart by God's standard and not according to the sinful deceitfulness of this world. See, Paul was writing under the divine inspiration in these two letters and also in the book of Titus, which is also in a pastoral epistle. He was writing these instructions and he even gets into details on how we pick leaders for the church. When we stray from these biblical principles and picking leaders and doing things according to our ways, because we think a lot of times we think our ways are better than God's ways. We know better, but you know, That's not true. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, he knows all things. So 
It's best that we do things according to his ways. So these biblical principles, God has given us instructions in picking church leaders. When we stray from these biblical principles, we end up getting in a lot of trouble, especially with those who are unruly and have bad character and they're leading in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, we see the qualifications of leadership in the church. Here God's word gives us character traits that we should look for in leaders. But also, God's word also gives us the red flags. It tells us, hey, don't appoint these people to leaderships by their traits, by what they do and what they say and how they treat people. It gives us the warning flags. It warns us not to make hasty decisions. The Bible tells us, not to make hasty decisions. And I remember talking to Pastor Joe about being a pastor. This was in 2004. He ends up ordaining me in 2009. So he sure took his time. <laughs> I thought when I graduated from Bible school, oh, hey, all right, I'm ready, you know. But God had other plans, and I'm glad he waited. He waited and prayed. But here, the reason why God instructs us and he tells them to wait. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, he tells the leadership, we're instructed not to put someone into ministry who hasn't been tested. Or maybe they're a little, uh, they're, they're new in their faith. The Bible tells us not to put them in a place of leadership, lest they fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That's a warning to church leaders not to lay hands on anyone hastily. So God's word is given to us and it gives us a precise prescription on how to do things in the church of God. Because they could be caught up with pride in their immaturity. Paul instructed them, let them be tested. And how do we test? How are we tested? By time and trial. You know, I I often... um, get a, a, a test when I tell somebody no. You know, when they ask me to do something, you know, can I do something? Can I do this? And, and I'll say no. And then you can see the test of where they are. You know, I'm told no by Pastor Joe a lot. So don't be surprised. You know, I'm, t- I'm told by Pastor Joe no. And that's okay. You know, because it's not my ministry. It's God's ministry. And there's order. So, um, you know, we get tested uh, in our time and trials to grow but also both letters first timothy and second timothy tell us tell the church and warns the church you're the church god's word warns the church and tells the church that we need to be careful as god's people there's a warning of a departure from the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Here's how they will depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Very subtle. The enemy is very subtle. That's why false doctrine, false teaching, false ideas, false worship, little things matter. And I I don't allow them. I'll point them out. 
And they matter. Why? Because it says the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith. They had a foundation, but they're departing from the faith. They're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The, the devil is cunning. He's cunning. He comes very sweetly. So, with what we hear, because it says, Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What we hear is very important. And Paul addresses even the matters uh, of not only doctrines of evil, evil things, doctrines of de- de- uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. The Lord instructs us how to respect elders. You know, that's how important the body of Christ is. You know, the Lord knows that the, the elders were being neglected and here in scripture it stresses the importance of how we treat the elders how we treat widows and the bible encourages families to take take care of their own aging widows in the closing part of first timothy paul instructed the church to respect those who also labor in the word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20 and through 21, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. And what is, what is committed to Timothy as a pastor? What is committed to his trust? The word of God. He's a, supposed to be a good steward of the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth and God's people. You see, we're responsible for what is taught. God will hold us responsible for what is taught. And, what, and also, your condition. We're giving you the word of God, which was committed to our trust. So, so Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 1, Paul, Paul is greatly desiring to see young Timothy. And, and, and in this chapter, he mentions his mother and his grandfather, uh, grandmother, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And, and you know what? Um, a lot of ladies, you know, ladies don't underestimate your, your role in the church, your role in the family. You know, I, I think the greatest influence in my life wasn't my pastor. It was my mother. It was my mother because she was a praying woman. And she was a woman in the word. And she set a good, uh, you know, a good uh, foundation for me. Although I was, you know, even at 13, man, I was pretty messed up. I was a, I was a pretty messed up guy for a lot of, for 14 years. Until I repented and came to faith. But, you know, Paul here also just shows and encourages Timothy. You know, you have a great foundation of faith. So ladies, don't underestimate your role in the body of Christ and your influence on the young men. And 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 Timothy was blessed. And Paul mentions these two ladies that they were uh, amazing women. But Paul also was telling Timothy, stir up the, the gift of God in your life. And 2 Timothy and chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? I love this verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And he's speaking to the pastor. God has not given us, but it's also for us to the church. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. 
power, love, and a sound mind. Paul reminds Timothy in the very next verses that we're, God saved us. God saved us. God loves us and God saves the people. God saves people. And he said, God called us. God called us to the ministry, not according to our abilities, but by his purpose. God has given us grace and he has appointed them pastors and ministers. So Paul said, being a minister of the Lord was going to be difficult. We see it in the scriptures. Being a minister in ministry is a difficult role. You see, Paul never sugarcoated ministry and neither did Jesus. He said it would be difficult. Ministry is difficult. The Christian life is difficult. Jesus even said, you will suffer persecutions. And at times, it's going to be lonely. Remember, Jesus was abandoned in the garden and Paul was left in prison alone. He said, many abandoned me. So ministry can be difficult. There's going to be persecution. But he encouraged him that God, he encouraged young pastor Timothy that others will come alongside and support him in ministry. As he, as they did also Paul in second Timothy chapter two, you know, and I, I, I'm glad for the people God has put in our ministry and our fellowship. You know, you who encourage and you who send notes and letters of encouragement and, and just, you know, just being here and praying for us. You know, I, I, I think we are the, you know, we get so much support and prayer. It, it's, you guys are amazing. I'm pra- I praise the Lord for my praying, loving, giving church. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, the church, church doesn't do this and the church isn't that and the church is mean and the church is this. And I'm like, the church, the people are the church. Get to know the people. It's not the building, it's the people. There's loving people here. There's generous people here, caring people here. And this is the body of Christ. You are one of those people. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. He's, he's telling the church, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. And that almost seems like an oxymoron, like jumble shrimp, you know. Be strong in grace. But we have to remember grace is something that God has given us freely. We don't deserve great God's grace. He's given us freely. But Paul, you know, if you read all the letters that Paul wrote, the church is messed up. It's, it's full of messed up people going through difficulty, struggling through life, and it still is. We're going to blow it. But he says, give them grace because you have been given grace. If you have a problem giving grace, read Matthew chapter 18, the latter part where Jesus talks about a king who forgave somebody who owed him like a million bucks. The king forgave him because he begged for mercy. And then he pardoned him. He sent him away. And then this guy saw somebody who owed him like a couple of bucks and 20 bucks. And he sees him and he says, you pay me what you owe me. And the servants found out and they saw him not showing grace and giving mercy to this guy. And wasn't this the guy that the king just pardoned? 
And then they, they told the king and the king called him. And he goes, you wicked and evil servant. I just forgave you a great debt and you're, you can't forgive somebody else. You see, God has forgiven us a great debt. He died on a cross for us. He wants us to be forgiving also. That takes the work of the Spirit. Be strong in grace, church. But he calls us also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he calls us as a church to be strong like soldiers, not getting caught up in the affairs of this world. He calls us to be like a hard-working farmer. Being a Christian is like a soldier. Don't get caught up in the affairs of this life. Being a Christian, you're going to have to, it's hard, you're going to be put to the plow. Hard, like hard-working farmers, you're going to partake. But he also calls us to be like disciplined athletes here in chapter 2. Disciplined athletes seeking a crown, but that not one that perishes. So he calls the church members, he calls us, the church. The word of God calls the church for us to be vessels of honor. Vessels of honor. That takes a work of God's spirit. He calls the members to be teachable. We need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. He also tells us as a church to flee lust. And call out to the Lord out of a pure heart. Why? That we may escape the snares of the devil. This is what Paul's saying in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. So in light of all that, now we're here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. But know this. Let's read verses 1 through 9. So out of all those things, now he's saying, but know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambers resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So here the Bible is telling us, but know this. In other words, pay attention. You know, in light of what we just covered, he's saying perilous times are coming, but know this. He's a warning, like a warning sign. We need to, the Bible's telling us here to pay attention to what's going on and what's going on around. But whenever the Bible gives us a warning, we always have to take a heart check. The church always needs to take the heart check. As a pastor, I need to check my heart with what's going on here in the text. The Bible tells us that know this, that these perilous times will come. It's will, it will come. It's a given. Things are going to get bad. Things 
to look for, he gives us here. And like I said, we always need to approach the word of God as a check of our own hearts. I can't be looking to the person to the left or the right. It's God speaking to me. This is God's word for his church. I need to check my heart. He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the unchurch. He's speaking to here to the church. He's speaking to the pastor. But the number one thing we see here is will happen in the end times or perilous times. You see selfishness and misguided priorities he's addressing here to the church. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, speaking irreverently about God. You know, God's not a big deal. Number two, we see the problem here is a breakdown of the family. Children will be disobedient to their parents. But also we see problems within us, which is the attitude issues that we tend to battle with. And I will say we, because it's we, battle with these things. And here on the list is unthankfulness. Ungratefulness, ingratitude, being unholy. And that word unholy speaks of wickedness or unloving, unloving. You see, God will allow us to be in awkward situations to test us in these areas. Are we forgiving? Are we loving I got to check my own heart. Am I grateful? Am I wicked? You see, God will put me in a situation where I have to be loving in an unloving situation, an awkward situation. You see, God tests us in those areas. I got to ask myself, am I unforgiving? Because... Jesus, in Matthew 6, tells us where to forgive. He's forgiven us. But here, the word slander in the Greek is the word diabolos, which is a form of the devil. Slander means a mudslinger or a character assassination. Am I talking bad about people? You see how Paul is, is really... Hitting our hearts, you know, our, and our conduct, how we treat our fellow man. See, the reason why God takes it personally when we hurt others or we're rude to each other or we're unloving towards one another or unforgiving towards one another. In James chapter 5, it says that God, God made man in the similitude of God. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we are created in his likeness. So when we offend each other, we're offending God because we're created in his likeness. So that word slander means mudslinger. Am I slinging mud? Am I talking about people? Am I gossiping? Well, you know, it's in prayer, you know, hey, you know, did you hear about so and so? You know, we could sugarcoat it, but it's still gossip. We got to be careful. You know, that word speaks of one who speaks of a fork. Speaks with a forked tongue, an accuser. But here it also talks about being without self-control or 
without being able to control myself. Man, I gotta, I gotta get this out. I gotta say it. I gotta do this. I gotta hold this grudge. I'm not, I'm not gonna forgive that person, even in the church. Even in the church. Unable to control yourself. You see, in times like this, we need to ask, check my heart. Is the light on? Is the engine light on in my car? And something's wrong. If God is speaking to you and there's an area in your heart that that is showing you clearly there's something wrong, I need to check the engine light of my heart. Something wrong and I need God to change my heart. And then he goes on to another uh, thing is is brutal. That word vicious, you know, and we could be not only brutal in being physical or or, or grumpy or edgy, but, uh, you know, vicious and and just the way we treat people. Then he goes on traitors, headstrong. And that word headstrong is stubborn. Stubbornness is not a good thing. Well, I'm a Mexican or, you know, I'm Irish or, you know, it, it is not a good thing. In the eyes of God, no matter how, you know, sugarcoating we do on it, we laugh it off. It's not a good trait. Stubbornness, haughtiness, haughtiness is arrogance, thinking you're better than everybody else, thinking you're better than somebody. You know, we're not. We all fall short. You know, we we don't measure. We we could probably do some measuring here. But you know what? When it comes to the day of judgment, we're all going to stand before God. And he's going to judge us by the standard of Jesus Christ. And we all fall short. We all fall short. But he says, headstrong, stubborn, haughty, arrogant, lovers of pleasure rather than God. But the fourth principle we see in this here is this is probably by far the worst trait of the end times. We see here in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That is so sad. Professing to be a spirit-filled Christian without actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're just professing. Man, that's, that's heavy. Having a form of godliness, you're just going through the motions. And, and you know what? We could get like that. You know, I remember going to church and, you know, going and then just leaving and doing, you know, just the un- most ungodly things. No conviction, just going through the motions, professing godliness, but denying its power. Professing to be a spirit-filled Christian without actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. Another thing would be professing godliness, but our lifestyle professing worldliness. And that happens a lot in the church. A lot of people claim to be Christians, but they're Clearly not living according to God's word. I had to tell somebody really close to me when they they thought they were okay with God. And I said, I love you, but I, you're wrong. Well, how you, why you, how are you judging me? I said, I'm not. This, this is, this is, you know, it was, it was, it, it was done in a motive of love and concern. But this is probably by far the, you know, the worst trait here. As we see in the end times, many, you know, even Jesus said in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, haven't I, 
you know, done many things in your name and this and that. And, you know, have that done great things. And he said, I never knew you. Let me have a personal relationship. Or you practice lawlessness. You keep stepping. That word lawlessness is there's a line in the sand. You know it. It's the word of God. And you keep stepping over. You keep stepping over. But we see here that it's a dangerous place to be. Professing godliness. But living a lifestyle professing worldliness. It's unbecoming. And so... He's getting us back on track. We are instructed in scripture here. It says, don't hang out with such people to bring you down. They're going to bring you down. But it's also, we need to be careful in our circles of influence. And, but always constantly checking our heart. In verse six through nine, it says in the last days, people will come, become undiscerning. They will follow those who will make them captives. And man, there's so much things that people are falling for in these end times. I can't believe the things that people are falling for. They're so undiscerning. They, you know, they, they, you can't discern right from wrong. We're headed in that direction. And you know what? A lot of, a, a lot of people are just caught up. You know, when God says something's wrong and we say, oh, it's okay. Because my kids are doing it or, or this is happening. It's not okay. Undiscerning. It says you're, you're, you're going to be uh, a captive too. The Bible tells us they will lead us into various lusts. You know, just un, being undiscerning will lead us into areas of lust. It'll lead us away. Here it's, it's worldliness. But it, it, you know, sin will make us gullible, gullible, easily to fool. See, God's word will keep you sharp and discerning. And Hebrews five tells us that we are to have our exor- our, our our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. But we we have to have the word of God in our lives. But sin will make us gullible. Easily to fool, we see here. In the last days, people will think that they're getting smarter, but they will come. It says here, they will come to the knowledge of the truth, but they won't understand it. They'll never come to the knowledge of the truth. It says here, they think we're getting smarter, but we're not. See, the last days here, they will resist the truth, it says here. Like, you know, Moses... Uh, these uh, Janice and Jabbers, these were guys with Moses, who contested with Moses and they did the snake thing and they did all these miracles. They, they, did, uh, they were very convincing and they had supernatural abilities, but not according to God's word. And they resisted the truth. And you see, when we're, we don't do things according to God's word, we're resisting the truth. And you know what? It's not going to be good. See, in the last days, they will resist the truth because their minds here, it says, will be corrupted and they will be disapproved according to the faith by God. And scripture says they are headed towards a great fall, headed towards a great fall. So, you know, praying that we would take an inner look into our hearts and pray for those around us because time is short. The Lord is at hand. Paul goes on to say here in verse 10 through 12, he says, 
But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Jesus in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So here Paul is not sugarcoating it again, and he's telling the Christian life isn't for the faint-hearted. It's going to be difficult. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God in our lives. Verse 10 says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. That's important. We need to follow the Word. The Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2, chapter 2 and verse 42, we were in the Apostles' Doctrine. Jesus taught the Apostles and, and they uh, set the foundation for the church. So we are to be a disciplined people. And God is calling us as His people to be in the Word of God daily. It's like food to us. How many... Of us, you know, go without eating for weeks. You know, we, we, we eat every day. We eat three squares. We have three hots and a cot, right? You know, we're not in jail, but we have three hots and a cot. I have a three hots and a nice place to sleep. You know, but we need to approach the word of God like that. You know, like it's food. You know, am I starving? You know, you know, the the brother was shared a verse this morning. Uh, it is, it's Amos or Hosea. It says there's going to be a famine in the land, and it's, but it's not of food. It's of the word of God. You know, may we not be in, you know, uh, you know, self-denying ourselves such um, riches of God's word. But we should have a daily appetite. So, uh, number one, we have to carefully follow the word of God. Number two, and, and have a a daily discipline to be in the word of God. You know, and if you read Psalms chapter one, you know, blessed is the man who's in meditates on my word day and night. You know, he will be like a tree planted by the streams of living waters, you know, whose root shall not be, you know, what it, his leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. But the God ungodly are not so, you know, so let the word of God be that in your life. Number two, set a biblical example in your life. Be a good example as a Christian. Number three, live out your full potential and purpose by glorifying God in all that you say and do. You know, your words and your works matter. Our words and our works matter. We should glorify God in all that we do. Number four, your faith should be bundled. And I love it. Your, your faith should be bundled. You know, you know, when the salesman comes, you want, you want the bundle pack, you know, you, or do you want just one thing? You know, they try to sell you on the bundle here. Your faith should be bundled with number one here. It says self-control in difficult situations, self-control in difficult situations. Number two, love, love the unlovable. Number three, patience. He says, long suffering, patience with those who would try your patience, patience with those who try your patience. This is the work of the spirit. This is what God's teaching us to do as Christians. But you know what? It's not easy, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Lord, change me. Lord, change me. In verse 11, he says, persecutions and afflictions will come, but God will provide the power you need to endure them 
or to be delivered by them. In verse 12, straight out says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's coming. It's coming as these days are getting more wicked. You stand in the truth and you stick to the word of God. You are going to suffer persecution. It happened first century. It's going to happen again. Continuing here in verse 13 through 15. It says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing From whom you have learned them. That from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. Which is in Christ Jesus. So here in verse 13. The word of God tells us using a double negative. First saying it's going to get worse and worse. Things ain't going to get better. They're going to get worse and worse. That's what it's saying here. You think it's bad. It's gonna get worse. You know, you think of, I think of something in the refrigerator that just, you know, it's just starting to mold, starting to rot. And that's corruption. You leave it there long enough. It's gonna get worse and it's gonna get worse. And you know what? This world is gonna get worse. It ain't getting better. It ain't getting better. You know, it's not about, you know, who's in office. It's we're not right with God and we're going to get worse and worse. it's going to get worse and worse. It says evil men and and imposters, you know, evil and imposters. So, you know, you're not going to just get hit by from the evil people who hate Christians. It's a two front war. You're going to get hit. By imposters who profess to be pastors and teachers and leaders. We have to be careful. What what do we have to do? We have to be in the word to know what is right and wrong. It says deceiving and being deceived. There's that double negative again. Watch out. Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Be careful of mind seducers. You know, you're going to get hit with Mind seducers. That's what that word deceiver means. Mind seducer towards. And here's what the enemy is going to cause you to seduce your mind towards compromise. Or straight out sin. Straight out sin. Verse 14 says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, he's telling us over and over. We see it in Acts. We see it in all the epistles. Continue in the word. Church, be in the word. What you have learned and being assured of, learn, learn. Be teachable. Be teachable. And learn these lessons from those who can be trusted, who look out for your souls. There are many people on TV and so-called people they don't care about you they just want your money they don't look out for your souls they look out for their pocket you see as pastors and teachers and james chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us 
that we're accountable for you. It says that not many of you become teachers knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. God's going to hold us accountable for what we teach. So I want to stick close to the word of God. I'm not going to give you, I don't want to give you my opinion. I'm not going to tell you a funny story. You know, you might laugh. I might get a crowd here, but it's not going to change you. The word of God is going to change you. Promises it's going to transform you if you yield to it and trust him. You see, in first Peter chapter five, verses two through three is good shepherds. We should care for the flock. See, God cares for you that much. He's, he's given you overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. You know, because there's some people in ministry who are just in it for the money. Be careful. Or they want to be lords over you. But see, God has entrusted them to you, leaders and teachers and pastors to be uh, entrusted to you for your spiritual well-being And I thank the Lord for our pastor. You know, I've been through the Bible with him two times. You know, for almost 25 years with Pastor Joe. And we're we're so blessed. He's consistent. He's a man of prayer. Every Sunday morning at 7 p.m., we're praying for you guys. Praying for the church. Praying for your families. Praying for the leadership. Praying every Wednesday night at, 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 at 6 p.m., we're praying for you. He's praying for you. Every every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, in the same spot, consistent for over 25 years. In the word, line upon line, precept upon precept, here, there, a little, there, a little, consistent from Genesis to Revelations. We're well taught. We're well loved. You see, but there are people in ministry who do it out of dishonest gain. Here it's talking about. Or they want to lord over people. They want power. But here even Peter says that we need to be examples to the flock. As pastors and teachers. Be an example to the flock. I thank the Lord for our children's ministry. You know, it's foundational. It's foundational. You know, we're teaching the kids and my, our goal is, is to raise up disciples. And that's the great commission. We see this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, that we're to make disciples. And that's what we're doing. We take the children's ministry seriously. Those children need to be taught. They're going into the battlefield called public school. And we want them to be inoculated and be evangelists and little teachers in in this world. I thank God for the children's ministry. Pray for the children's ministry. Pray for the teachers. But have a good devotional life. As we close here in verse 16 through 17, it says, All scripture, Paul says, All scripture is by given by inspiration for God of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction of righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So number one, all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is given by inspiration from God as profitable. You see, the Bible compares to, you know, has no comparison to any other book, man. Prophecy, 
Man, all the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming alone, man, so powerful. No other book can compare. How powerful, and it changes lives, and, and it gives us the, 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 the questions. You know, you know, up to the 60s, people, you know, even scientists believe that the, the universe was eternal. And we have here in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, in the beginning, God created, and Hubble came along, and and uh, Arno Penzio came along and all these scientists came along and they, they, they came up with this theory. No, it, Einstein knew he was wrong. That the, the, the earth came into existence at one time. And now they call it the Big Bang Theory. But you see, it is profitable for us. The word of God is profitable for us. It's powerful, life-changing. It's profitable for us for, because it, it's inspired by God for us to change our lives and to help us and to guide us and to bless us. It's profitable, number two, it's profitable, meaning beneficial, rewarding, and worthwhile if we attain or we receive all that God is teaching us. Number three, it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, principles, guidelines, Applied to our life that will keep us on the right track. Listen to Psalms chapter 119, 105. It says, thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. You know, we get off course because we're not in the word. It's profitable. Keep you on the straight and narrow. Number four, it's profitable for reproof to convict us when we're wrong. Man, read the word of God and let it convict you when you're wrong. Because it'll transform you. But if you want to stay wrong, it'll leave you dirty. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Because we, we're to be transformed and washed by the water of the word. But it's profitable. Number five, scripture is profitable for correction. You know, God will correct us through the word. As Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. You know, we're like children. And our father will correct us to 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 bring a correction for restoration, to bring us in a right state, right state, improvement of character. And number six, all scripture is profitable for instruction of righteousness, instruction which aims in increasing virtue. You see, um, we're prone to go to the low standards of this world, but God, you know, wants us to live in a right right way. This world says this is right, and we're wrong. But God, you know, I, you know, we're living in a world where, call, where it calls good evil and, and evil good. Listen to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 24. It says, what sorrows are for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That, li- that dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. See, they're confused. Sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes. This is God speaking. Sorrow for them. They think themselves so clever. So sorrow for those whose heroes are in drinking wine and boasting about all their alcohol they could hold. Or they take bribes and they let the the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. Therefore, just like the fire licks up the stubble and the grass... The dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will rot and their flower, like their flower withers. 
For they have rejected the law of the Lord of the heaven's army, and they have despised the every word of the Holy One. You know, despising God's word, rejecting God's word. But it's profitable for us to make the man of God complete. And that word man of God right there, it's in general terms of, of men and women. You know, God wants to, 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 do a, to make you complete. And that word complete means form-fitting, useful, helpful, valuable for his work. Thoroughly equipped, he says, for every good word. Listen to Jeremiah. You see, because we're like, like, the, like a pot. We're, we're, we're a lump of clay. God is a potter. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 2 through 6. God told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So he went down to the potter's house and I saw him working on the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like the clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, O Israel. You see, we need to learn to submit to God. His ways, they're higher than ours. His ways. Let him transform us. But we have to be in the word, read the word, pray the word, and let God transform our hearts. Let, you know, we're, we're the clay. He's the potter. See, his word knows where I, we should be. He does the work. I just have to submit to him. You know, the water, the, the Bible is like water. The water of the word. You know, what, you know, you ever see a potter work on a dry piece of clay? It just falls apart. But he adds a little water to it, the word of God. Add a little water to your life daily. And let the potter just form you and make you something beautiful. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says to the church, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, Lord. Father, you warn us of these last times. That perilous times will come, but you give us instructions on how to live. You want us to live holy, godly, forgiving, just, bearing with one another. You want to warn us. You want to give us wisdom and discernment. You want to give us all these things, Lord, but help us to be teachable. Help us to be yielding. And so we do pray for a supernatural work of your spirit in our lives, in our church, Lord and in our homes, in our communities, Lord. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. Have your way. We thank you so much. Prepare our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. God bless you. Thank you, guys.